0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations.
1: The Bible speaks directly to multi-ethnic ministry. God's picture of eternal life is one where every tribe, tongue, and nation is present. Travis Wusso discusses this with Trillia Newbell, Juan Sanchez, Afshin Ziafat, and Josh Smith.
2: Let's listen into this discussion.
3: Hi, I'm Travis Wusso. I serve as Vice President of Public Policy for the ERLC in Washington, D.C. So let me introduce our panel to you. So immediately to my right, we have my colleague. Uh, Trillia Newbell, who is a writer, she's a speaker, she's also the director of community outreach for ERLC. We also have Juan Sanchez, who is the senior pastor of High Point Baptist Church in the great Austin, Texas, um, my old hometown. We also have Afshin Ziafat, who's lead pastor of Providence uh, Church in Frisco, uh, also a graduate of the, the University of Texas at Austin. We also have uh, Josh Smith, um, who, is, uh, who is the uh, uh, lead pastor at Prince Avenue uh, Baptist Church in Athens, Georgia. So we're going to start off by, by kind of defining our terms and, and laying out what we're going to discuss. So I, I want to start with you, Trillia, but I want everybody to, to answer this question. Why is multi-ethnic ministry a gospel issue? And, and secondarily, what does the gospel have to say um, about this issue?
2: The gospel speaks directly to multi-ethnic ministry. First, the Bible speaks directly to multi-ethnic ministry, starting in Genesis 1, that we are made in the image of God, and he did not distinguish, he did not discriminate. And then we know that Jesus died for every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that he sent the 12 out on a mission, on a multi-ethnic mission, to go and make disciples of all nations. And then we see in Revelations that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be together. But I have skipped a thousand verses in Acts, in Ephesians, Ephesians 2. I've skipped a multitude of verses that directly talk about this beautiful vision of God creating people for himself, of all different tribes, tongues, and nations, for his glory, to be saved by Jesus on the cross. It is something that, um, if we just look throughout the scriptures we see evidence of uh, God creating and redeeming a people for himself, for his glory, that are multi-ethnic.
4: Uh, I'm a big picture guy, so I want to go, go from a, a large, high view. And I think the whole, to, just to agree with, with Trillia, she was telling us on the ground, I want to come up in the air and just say how the whole storyline of Scripture unfolds in a way that God created humanity, and we all come from Adam and Eve and God purposed to save through the seed of Adam and Eve. And when we get to Genesis 12, we see God was going to bless the nations through Abraham, how they dealt with Abraham. If they cursed Abraham, they would be cursed. If they blessed Abraham, they would be blessed. Israel was to be a blessing to the surrounding nations. They were a community that was to display the glory and the kingdom of God on the earth in a central geographic location so that the surrounding nations would be able to see who their God was, what he was like, and what it was like to be his people. And anybody could come in, and we see ultimately Jesus fulfills all these pictures, and and by his substitutionary life, death, resurrection, now exaltation is king to God's right hand. He is gathering a multi-ethnic people, no longer in one central geographic location displaying to the world What it's like to be God's people, but scattered throughout the world in these embassies called local churches, that we're to display the kingdom of God on the earth as ambassadors, as we call all peoples everywhere, from every tribe, tongue, and nation to repent, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to bow down to King Jesus, and in the language of Psalm 2, kiss the Son. That's our mission, and the end picture is Revelation 5 and 7.
1: Man, that, you, that, I mean, let's pray. That's pretty good. Uh, I, I mean, I would just, yeah, I would agree with everything that was said. I think, first of all, um, it, it's, it's a it, it's a Bible issue because we're made in the image of God, and God is glorified through all of his races turning to him. Um, I, I shared this at MLK 58, and I think it bears repeating, but one time my, my daughter was in a Walmart with my wife, and there was an African-American lady, and my daughter, being young, blurts out, mom, why does she have a different skin color than we Mm. do? And the lady turns around and Meredith's telling me the story. I'm like, how did you answer that question? (laughs) And Meredith said, well, I said, honey, uh, mankind is made in God's image and uh, we are meant to glorify him, uh, to to reflect his glory. And uh, he's so glorious that one color would not suffice. Mm. And so Mm. uh, I think that's that's Ephesians 3, that the manifold wisdom of God is seen in the church that word manifold means multifaceted, like a diamond that has many faces and mm-hmm. shines brightly. The church brings more glory to God when it's made up of all races. And then one more thing I'll say, it's the heart of Jesus. Jesus mm-hmm. says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I have sheep that are not of this fold and I must draw them also. Very clearly saying, hey, I am this good shepherd you've been waiting for, but no, it's not just for you. And all of the gospel is is meant to push you out of your uh, comfort zone to go out to other races if you read the scriptures? That's
0: good. Yeah, I think multi-ethnic ministry is a gospel issue because diversity in a broader perspective is a gospel issue. So you look at Titus 2, there should be an emphasis on multi-ethnic ministry in the same way there should be an emphasis on multi-generational ministry. This is a diversity issue. Uh, masters and slaves, I mean, all of that is in, is in Titus chapter 2. I find it fascinating a little bit that So many of the churches that are so adamant about multi-ethnic ministry can't seem to bring generations together. Mm -hmm. Well, we're still talking about a diversity issue. Are we willing to sacrifice our own preferences for the sake of bringing diversity together? So I think the kingdom is diverse. That's not just black and white. Mm -hmm. That's young, old. That's all kinds of other things included in that. So I think it's helpful to, to speak about diversity in a broader perspective. Diversity is a gospel issue. The kingdom will be diverse, and our churches. Even if you don't have any black people in your community, you can still be show the diversity of the kingdom in the way in which you honor an older generation or different social classes, all of those kind of things.
3: Hmm. Afshin, I like the the image of this of, of a multifaceted uh, church. Let's talk about some of the facets of this issue. truly we uh, Afshin mentioned the MLK 50 conference, and a big focus of that conference was to talk about the legacy of King and and the issue that the church is still dealing with in terms of the black-white issue. What are what are some of what are some of the reflections that you took away from that conference and 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 what are you what are you seeing in terms of where we go from here on that?
2: Yeah. Well, I first want to say that the reason that we focus so much on the multi-ethnic race aspect of it is because it's, there's still such a divide on that topic. And we here, I, I, at MLK 50, one of the things that I was as I was thinking about this. Is the United States was built on the black on the backs of slaves, and that reality—that's kind of a cliche—but that's the reality, and that reality affected how our churches were also formed. So we have a history of division in the United States. MOK fifty was great because we didn't mince words. We spoke so it was just and in, in time of just deep encouragement, but also deep reflection on how our divide has affected the church and it's not our divide that's affected the church it's our sin it's our sin racism is a sin i often get asked well why are we still talking about race Can't, if you stop talking about race wouldn't it just get a, go away you're the re, you're the problem because you keep bringing it up and i think i i typically say well is there still a problem with hate because of the color of people's skin, well, then there's a problem that we need to address. Mm. And we're going to address it until Jesus returns. So with MLK 50, what was great is that we we talked about, and I was encouraged by, um, the broad range of both challenge and reflection and the honest and open discussion. So I can't go through all of it, but we have that resource at erlc.com. And I would just invite you all and at TGC to go to our website and listen, re-listen to those messages. And and I, th- I think that's it's just an encouraging and good resource for us, a place to start as we're thinking about not just the theology of race, but that on the ground mission and what it looks like to be the, the church. Mm.
3: One, the fastest growing demographic in the United States is the, the uh, Latino population. Talk talk to us a little bit about what that what that means for mm-hmm. the future of the church in this country. I mean, you're you are uh, in Texas. How's that shaped your ministry in Texas?
4: Sure. Well, you know, I think Dr. Moller rightly said that the cultural situations don't don't really change our mission. They don't really change what we do as a church. Mm-hmm. I think the problem has been we haven't been doing that. And so we need to return to what the church is. What does it mean to be the church? And as, as the church, again, back to that image, we're a display people to display, you know, as ambassadors, the kingdom of God on this earth to unbelieving world, proclaiming the message of the gospel. So that should never change. What happens is when the neighborhood begins to change, then we need to think about, well, then how do we fulfill this mission in our immediate context? And so that's where I, I appreciate what John said. You know, w- w- one of the things is everyone is trying to get into this Spanish ministry. How do we do that? Everyone's asking these questions. I mean, we get this question a lot. And and really the question is, well, what are you doing right now to reach the population around your church? Yeah, that's right. What are the things that you're doing that you should always be doing that should always have been doing? And then think about, okay, what are some things that we do when we gather or in our church or in our ministry that without our intention actually exclude people or actually we're without thinking about it these are just the things we do that communicates you're not welcome so i think that's probably a helpful way to start and um you know so 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 in our context we're trying to ask these questions so when we sing the lyrics are in english and in spanish Mm. Uh, we have someone on our staff that helps us think through how do we reach the immediate hispanic population right around our, our, our building, which is a very fast growing population. So I think we have to think like that. And then secondly, we have to help our people understand we're doing the same thing, evangelism, discipleship, the same thing. So who do you know in your workplace? And in our context, I think, I think what Josh is saying is important. You're working with people that are Hispanic, that are Asian, that are, you know, from, from all over the world, how are you relating to them? How are you having gospel conversations with them? How are you inviting them to a Bible study? So so this should be the natural, normal progression of ministry in the church. And I believe as we're doing that, it will reflect the community that we're in. And I think that's a better goal than just having a multi-ethnic ministry. Right. How can we reflect the community we're in by engaging all our members to do the ministry to share the gospel, to bring people in, to disciple one another so that our church reflects the community in which we live. And it's hard. Language is hard. But I want to say the socioeconomic divide, I think, is even harder.
3: So in terms of reflecting the neighborhood that we're around, there's a, a massive... Uh, Muslim population in the Dallas area. And Afshin, you you know, you are uh, come from a Persian background, Iranian background, also a Muslim background. And it's to some extent, this this is not one of the things when we talk about multi-ethnic ministry, we don't usually immediately go there. But it doesn't mean that there's not a racial divide, it doesn't mean there's not racism, animosity. Talk just a little about your own story and and how and how that fits into this discussion as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no you're right. I mean, I'm I'm on the form I'm the box other just yeah, to clarify. So, uh, you know. So, in fact, I literally I filled out a form like 2 weeks ago and it was it was really interesting to me. It was African or it was Caucasian, African American, Hispanic, Asian and then there was a little disclaimer on the bottom because Iran is in Asia technically, and there's a little disclaimer to make sure you understood Asian means Oriental, like someone from East Asia. So not you, Afshin. And then, <laughs> and then literally some other race. That's what I was. I was like, all right. So that's what I checked. So anyways, yeah, no, um, I love it. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, uh, we should have a heart for, for all races. And I think what I would add, um, coming from a Muslim background is I think This is, um, all racism is horrible. Um, If if you uh, see someone as inferior because of skin color, if you, you know, that's that's horrible. Uh, This one might be more a politically charged kind of a racism Mm. or maybe a racism by association. Like, Mm. man, I see radical Islamic terrorism and here's someone who's got a covering over their head or whatever and they, they look like they're from that. Are they out to get me? Do they hate America? And so it's kind of, and so I think what I would say to people uh, in America, American Christians is, I think you, you, we have to realize when the, the Muslim world is coming to our backyard, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's right across the street. It is a, it's, a, it's an enormous opportunity for us um, to, see, to, to to live out the gospel because they are, especially when, let's say, a, a terrorist event happens, a, a radical Islamic terrorist event happens, um, they're immediately going to think that they're going to be ostracized or animosity is going to be shown them. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel says, I'm not just an innocent bystander. I'm not just a neutral, I'm an enemy of God. And yet God still loved me. Jesus pursued me while I was his enemy. And so what an opportunity when they are expecting just by association for you to treat them differently or treat them with animosity, if you actually go out and reach out to them. And, and so I'm speaking from experience. So I came to this country, uh, and the Iran hostage crisis hit. Everybody hated people from Iranian uh, from Iranian background, uh, except for I'm thankful one Christian tutor uh, saw me and saw my family. didn't see threat, but saw opportunity. Mm. And and she poured her life and invested in me. One last thing that just hit me: there's a community not far from here that uh, they were they were putting a they were putting a Islamic a cemetery in 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 that community, and a pastor stood up and said, we've got to put a stop to this because if we allow them to build this, more Muslims will come to our community. And I'm thinking, no, a pastor ought to stand up and say, I've got great news. Mm -hmm. The Islamic association wants to build a cemetery in our backyard. That means more Muslims are coming to our community and we can actually live out our calling. And so there was a pastor that was really burdened in that community and had a town hall meeting and invited me to come share my story. And that was a very interesting night. But uh, so I just, um, I'm rambling, but I, I had to throw that story in. But let me just close and say I just want us to see that it's an opportunity to, when they're expecting us by association to hate them, when we love them, we are probably displaying the gospel in that action more than any other action.
2: Yes, amen to that. I just wanted to add that he's talking about racial a bias. And all of us have those biases. And so there's often someone will say, well, I'm not a racist. And so they will shut down any topic about racial reconciliation, racial harmony, because they assume I'm not included in that conversation, but we are. And and so we need to evaluate our hearts and ask ourselves, where am I biased? Where do I favor others over or, or where do I make assumptions about a whole group of people based on their culture or their, their skin? And I just was going to tell a really quick story. I heard a man who was a prison. He, he went to prison. He was a, an accomplice to murder. And he was, he was sharing his testimony that when he, the, the, I think it was a prison guard shared the gospel with him. He got out um, early, by the mercy of God, and immediately went to a church, and um, there were a few families who befriended him, but it, they didn't just befriend him as in, oh, you are welcome here. They had him over for dinner and had him at their kitchen table, and they didn't treat him as a prisoner, a foreigner, someone different, someone dirty, someone set apart, because he wasn't. Mm. He was a Christian. He was a part of the family of God. He Mm. had been transformed by the glory of God, and that action, that love, and that service, he is now um, finishing up his, uh, maybe MDip something, at Moody Bible College, and he is a pastor of a local church. Praise God! Yes. So there is so much we can do to when we display the love of God by reaching out when everyone else is ostracized. That is that is that is what we are called to do as Christians. And so thank you so much for your story and sharing, hmm.
3: Josh. I know you you have a lot of uh, a lot of these stories as well. You were pastor for many years at MacArthur Boulevard Baptist Church here in the Dallas area, a, a really diverse church. You're now a pastor. Uh, at, uh, at Prince Avenue in, in Athens, a little bit less diverse. What, what, are, what are some things, you've now kind of been on both sides of, of, of this question in terms of the diversity of your church. What are some observations you have about that, or, and what are some things that we can learn from that?
0: Sure, yeah, so in 2006, I came to Irving, uh, having no idea what to expect from that community. It is uh, the, one of the most diverse zip codes in all of America, and we started thinking diversity because when I got there, we had one black man married to an Asian woman and everybody else was white, and we were in a community of forty percent Asians, with two Section Eight housing complexes, almost all African American families, and none of that was represented in our church. So Juan is exactly right. The reason we needed to move in that direction is not because it was trendy, but because we—that was our community. Like we were dropped right, and the church had moved to get uh, to get out of a community that was changing and came up to this community that was going to be more like them. And then they ironically found themselves in a community much more unlike them and having no idea what to do. So we spent 11 and a half years trying to transition that. And by God's grace, that was a great experience. So now I've moved to a church that is probably 99.99% white. And, um, but there's, there's not a lot of other ethnic groups around us. University of Georgia has a lot, but yet who's living around us but but here's, here's what I've been thinking. I'm still thinking about the same need to, to, to demonstrate the diversity of the kingdom. So there's a trailer park across the street from our church, and no one from that trailer park goes to our church. And I'm fairly convinced none of them feel like they're welcome at our church. So what I need to do is not go hire some black staff because that's what you do now. But I need to go to the trailer park across the street, which we're doing, in order to make sure they're, knows there because there's a massive divide there. Massive divide there. And so I, it's the same principles. It's just finding out who's in your community and doing whatever you need to self-sacrificially. It's really a lot of Philippians too. I'm going to die to my preferences, my own self, in order to, to help other people feel welcome in our culture. Mm-hmm. So it's just fascinating. It's the exact same principles uh, and the exact same needs. It's just figuring out who's in your community and being willing to go after that to display the broader diversity of the kingdom. Because poor people are going to be in the kingdom too, I think, right? So uh, for churches not to do everything they can to get the poor in their community is is the same type of principle. So I'm just, it's interesting to see how the same things we learned are applying in a different context. Mm -hmm.
3: Truly, you've talked a little bit about um, about racial bias, of course, we know the many ways that these biases produce injustice in our in our uh, in our communities in our country. Talk to us a little about how how the multi-ethnic church uh, and the multi-ethnic nature of the church can speak to these injustices and to speak to the issue of racial justice and racial racial reconciliation more broadly.
2: Yeah, well I, I think it speaks a different word to the world. So the world is divided. the world says that there's no hope. The world says that in order for us to have any um, progress, we have to have policies, which I completely praise God for policies, right? I wouldn't be sitting here right now if there weren't uh, laws that have been changed by the grace of God. But, But the church says that a man died on a cross bearing the wrath that we all deserve and tore the veil of hostility, broken down in the body of Christ and that we are now one new man unified by this awesome act of a savior. So it speaks a better word because it, it's, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's radical. It's radical that I can be up here with people. We're all very different from very different backgrounds and yet be called sister. Mm-hmm. Isn't that radical? Yeah, that's great. That there's that there's a doctrine of adoption and that mm-hmm. we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So yeah. the multi-ethnic church does it speaks that. It yeah. it tells the world that there is hope for this because th- there's absolutely no reason that a prisoner or the person who lives in poverty or the African American female and the country, white dude from, you know, somewhere in Tennessee. I'm from Tennessee, so I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that. Um, should be in the same church, yeah. worshiping together. Right. There should be no reason that the older woman is praying with, and I've, I've, this is a quote that is partly in Dr. Moore's book on a, in Adopted for Life, the pierced, tattooed, 20-year-old, right? So I think it radically speaks that of the glory of Christ to unify people who are not like themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I I think it's incredibly important that we think about and think through multi-ethnic ministry. And Josh, what you're speaking about so much is James. Is it James 2 or James 5? The sin of partiality. James 2. Yeah, so we don't want to be—that also is— if incredibly important. We do not want to be, James rebuked mm-hmm. the church for being partial to the rich. So we need to be thinking about all of these things because it speaks a better word to the world that is dying, guys. We are dying out there on these topics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have the absolute best news. We need to be pre- not only preaching the gospel, but walking it out faithfully. If I may jump in, this is that's
1: why. By the way, thank you, um, sister. That was beautiful. That's why I get so frustrated when I hear someone say, um, "Why are we so much talking about race or talking about you know the dignity of women or whatever mm. uh, social issues that we're talking?" Why, why, just focus on the gospel, and 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 they want to like pit the gospel against. These issues, and I just want to say, no, no, no. If you have gotten the gospel, your heart will go after the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the outcasts. That is the gospel. I mean, so you can't, you don't pick those against each other because Jesus. uh, I mean, in Matthew, literally says, "This is how you're going to know the difference between the the sheep and the goats. The sheep will be the ones." Who, when you saw me, you 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 clothed me when I was naked. You you welcomed me when I was a stranger. Okay. When did we do that to you, Lord? Well, when you did it to the least of these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so Jesus is trying to say. So I say, if, if you if you are, don't have a heart to speak into these issues, then I'm I, I don't know if you really got the gospel
0: because right. the gospel right. should motivate you to. So right. I think every church has deep in their DNA a group of people they don't want to see more of. right? Like there's a group of people who don't want more Muslims to come into their church or community. They don't want more poor people coming into their community. They don't want more black people coming into their community. And I think the reason it's not enough to just say, well, we're just gonna be all about the gospel is because whatever that group is that you don't want in your community is the group that the pastor has to talk about and say, no, no, we're going to specifically overtly go after that group and bring them into the church. Like they, because if, if the community knows you don't want that group of people in, so, I mean, the Islamic Center of Irving was building a building next door to our church at MacArthur Boulevard, same thing you said, and we had people saying, we need to gather together and prayer walk and pray against it, that in the name of Jesus Christ, they wouldn't come in here, and we're kind of saying the opposite, we're saying, no, this is great, like, bring them in, but we have to identify as church leaders, what group is it that our church doesn't like, because there, there is a group that your church doesn't like, and specifically speak to that, and call it out, and call us to repentance for that.
3: Right. Part, part of what you're talking about is, is developing and raising up, shepherding your people, but also raising and developing up leaders. One, one I'm wonder, hoping you could talk to us a little bit about some of the lessons that you've learned in terms of raising up leaders and, and how, that, uh, how that can help us to build
4: a more, uh, a more multifaceted and ethnic church. Yeah. First of all, we say that what the gospel does, it doesn't merely bring diversity. The world wants diversity. Mm. So our goal is not multi-ethnic churches. Our goal is churches that reflect the unified diversity, the unified diversity of the gospel. Because what the gospel does is it unifies the diverse ethnicities. So the world will celebrate diversity. We celebrate a unified diversity. So the the brothers and sisters coming to the Lord's table together. And if we're doing our, our faithful ministry of sharing the gospel, reflecting our community, then I would just say three things. Number one, evangelism, our regular ministry of evangelism should be going out to to reach all peoples. Mm -hmm. That brings us to number two, which is discipleship. So we should have cultures of discipleship where we are seeing everyone grow closer to reflecting the image of Christ. That's what Ephesians 4 is talking about. The pastors are teaching. That word is being received, is being reverberated throughout the congregation. Everyone's doing their part, building up the church. So that should be the normal life of the church. Diversity should be growing that, at least reflecting our community. Mm-hmm. The, the piece that, that, that I would add is we've come up with a leadership formula that helps us identify leaders in the church. And it's C plus C plus C plus C, plus C over T equals C. And that is character, which is the very first thing that Scripture emphasizes in leadership. Uh, Number two, conviction. What, What are your convictions doctrinally, theologically? How do you apply those convictions into your life and culture, family, so on and so forth? And then care, which is important in Scripture, 1 Peter 5, how do you love and care for the church? And then only fourthly, competency. That's usually what people go to first. Hey, can this guy preach or can that person teach? Those observed over time. So we observe those over time, and that's what equals credibility. And so the the issue is not, well let's just get this guy cuz he's from Iran and and we'll bring him on the elder board or you know this this person's from here that that's that's really doing more harm to the church if they're not people of character, people of doctrinal conviction, people who care for the church and people who are competent apt to teach. And and that's the kind of stuff that's observed over time so that when we bring people to the church and we say we want to commend this person to you as an elder or so on and so forth. The church goes, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so when we're doing that with everybody from sharing the gospel, bringing them through the discipleship culture in the church, and then putting them in leader position, leadership positions, that's going to cultivate a natural diversity with the people that we're ministering to. And if we're not, if we're not seeing a diversity of leadership, then I think we got to go all the way down to the evangelism piece.
3: As we close I want to give I want to have another question for everybody on the panel. What's what's one area of concern that you see as we're as we're moving forward and what's what's one uh, area that brings you hope?
2: Um one area of concern is just we have a lot further to go. So as I've I've seen over the couple last couple of years and as I've seen even after MLK 50 lots of encouragement, but we still have a ways to go. The hope is is that we know Jesus Christ. Hmm. And so we have our only hope and we don't have to wait. We can work now and we know the end. We already know the end of the story, guys. So we can have hope as we work today.
4: Hmm. My concern is that multi-ethnic ministry is really sexy right now and people are pursuing it because it's a sexy thing. And Hispanic ministry is really sexy here in Texas. So you hire somebody and then you, you say, hey, we have a place in the basement for you guys to reach Hispanics and meet. And um, so, that, that's my concern. It, you know what? What we want to do, I talked to missiology and said we have, we have made the same mistakes for so long. Let's make some new mistakes. Hmm. And so that's kind of where my hope is: is in, in 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 making new mistakes, fulfilling the same old mission, but making new mistakes. And and what we want to try to do is incorporate the different ethnicities into one gathering, so that we're all right. sacrificing Good. rather than. We're preferring any one culture over really another. Good.
1: Quickly, concern I think is uh, some people thinking that there's going to be a finish line in this struggle, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this side of heaven, yeah. um, and like why won't the race thing just go away? Let's say the mo- right. you know, and and I think that it's it's we need to keep fighting for it over and over again. And I think a uh, hope is I I think though we still got a long way to go. I think a, a lot more white American uh, pastors and church members. Are starting to listen and say, "Let me understand what it's like to be a Latino, to be an African American, uh, and in what in what ways are?" And I think I've seen that more in my mm-hmm. church—a willingness to hear. What is it really like? Do you do? You, do you feel you know prejudiced against? Yeah. Like, and and I think that's a
0: huge win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say my concern is organizations and churches trying to become diverse structurally, but not relationally. Meaning, we want to be diverse. Let's hire a black guy and sing some Israel Houghton songs. Now we've got it. They're all going to come in. So what I would say is this, as opposed to that, find the people in your church who are already, who are diverse. Find that one black guy who's coming to your church. For some reason, you have no idea why. And engage him in a relationship. Have him over. Talk to him. Say, would you help me? Like that relational aspect is the most important thing. I think churches are trying to do big picture stuff. Let's, Let's see this totally transition. What I would say, love on the diversity that you have. Bring them in, have conversations with them, help them, ask them to help you uh, in making this transition. Relationships over structures, just build relationships with different people. That's good.
3: All right. Please join me in thanking our panel.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the ERLC podcast. Visit erlc.com for more resources on this and a variety of other topics. And join us next week as we hear about adoption and foster care, special needs, and
0: mental health.